Wrestling fans, it's Freestyle and Greco season, and if you're looking to place custom team orders, please consider Spartan Combat. They're running a special right now on custom team apparel, whether it's t-shirts, shorts, warm-ups, or singlets. SpartanCombat.com. They've been a supporter of this podcast for a long time, and we're so grateful for that. Please give them a look at SpartanCombat.com. Now let's get on to the episode. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is yours truly, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is Andrew Hunter, founder and CEO at Willpower Resistance Bands. Andrew wrestled at Stanford, had a career in product development, and then got involved with the Soviet wrestling community in Brooklyn. And that's where we spend a majority of our time is talking about all the Soviet legends that are in Brooklyn passing on wrestling now and how Andrew, through that community, got into the business of creating resistance bands specifically for wrestlers. Enjoy this conversation. I know you will. Fan of the week goes to our friend Bentley Miller. Bentley is a young wrestler out in Erie, PA, who wrestles for the Ragin' Raisins, a big fan of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, Bentley. We appreciate it. And without further ado, folks, let's give it up for Andrew Hunter. Andrew, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, great to be back. Thanks for, I mean, dude, you have so many great people on. I feel pretty honored to be on the on the itinerary thank you no it's good to have you and uh you know we've become friends at this point and you're doing so many cool things out in brooklyn with with this uh you you got a wrestling club that you've been involved with you have a a business now um willpower bands and so i want to talk about all of it and and, you know we were just kind of mentioning you started this journey because of covid gyms in brooklyn were shut down and for people who don't know Whenever I hear Brooklyn, I just think Soviet Brooklyn. Like it's just tons of ex-Soviets out there. So just kind of before we even get into like the COVID shutdown and the bands and the club, tell us about this crazy Soviet wrestling culture out in Brooklyn. Sure. So, you know, there's there's not a lot of sports in New York City. Uh, And, you know, part of the challenge is not really a culture, certainly not a wrestling culture out here. It's very limited. Um, I remember, you know, so Becca Leathers is like the uh, beat the streets women's team. Uh, coach now. And uh, I remember talking to her about, she's like, holy, she's like, I, I didn't think that my job would be part culture building and coaching, you know, like there's just not a lot here. And so 
and it's it's not for a, a, a lack of talent. It's just a lack of infrastructure. There's just so many things that the city affects, you know, like we talked about this before. My, my son's going this right now. You know, when you apply to junior high in high school, you have no uh, uh, real say over where you go. It's a lottery system. Which is and, crazy because it's so like if you live in one one of the boroughs, it could be an hour and a half, two hours to get to another borough. Right. Yeah. And, you know, they, they try and make that better. Like you, you can you're promised to get a school within your district, but your district might suck. There might not be a real wrestling team there. You know, if you're an athlete, you know, you might get stuck. We've had plenty of kids that got stuck at a school with no wrestling program. And they come back and say, no, we have a wrestling program. We have a coach who coaches 10 other teams and there's three kids on the team. You're like, that's not a wrestling program. You know, that's like a pickup game. Uh, and, the, uh, and, and so, you know, there's just not a lot of structure to, to build feeder programs. Like if you're a high school coach, why invest in an elementary program? You know, uh, and so parents pay through the nose for this. Uh, and so, you know, if it's not a sport that you didn't play uh, before, uh, you know, you don't have much incentive to go find it because mm-hmm. um, it's expensive, especially if you're like uh, middle to low income, like you get priced out. It's 250 bucks a month minimum, you know, and most places you get like 45 minutes of a, a session a week for 250 bucks a month. Wow. You know, I mean, willpower is different and you get three practices an hour and a half to two hours, but it, you know, the economics are really tough. Uh, it's to because property is so expensive that you can't like to be a member of a gym. It costs that much just to pay the bills to keep the lights on. Oh yeah, man. We're talking, I mean, square footage prices are nuts. I mean, yeah, there's in my area, right. Which has kind of an old industrial area that's kind of become like an amusement park for sports, like sports centers that sell classes mm-hmm. and you're paying $60 a square foot a year. Wow. I mean, he, he, the economics are just impossible. Uh, so, you know, it's really tough to, to find culture around sports that, uh, you know, typically don't make a lot of money. Um, and, you know, wrestling, like 75% of wrestlers in the country make less, you know, come from families, make less than hundred thousand dollars a year. Like you just can't build a program in New York city like that when cost of living is so high, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're so into wrestling. Soviet community is like so behind wrestling. They make it work. Um, and there's just a really great concentration of, uh, so, you know, former Soviet uh, Republic uh, Americans in Brooklyn, in this, in South Brooklyn and what's called Brighton beach. Right. I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. if anybody knows about Brooklyn wrestling, they know Brighton beach. And there's just such a crazy concentration of wrestlers down there. Um, I remember this one of the first practices I went to uh, when my son wanted to wrestle. I took him. I found this club. You know, I, I, we walk in and there's Demir Zakardinov, who is the coach and you know, founder of the club, and he's a three-time Olympian from Uzbekistan. And helping him out, there's like another world team member from Uzbekistan. There's an Olympian from Belarus. You know, there's two uh, junior national coaches from former Soviet republics. They're just there for a year to learn American folk style. And then you got like you know uh, you know Yuri Valensky, who's uh, He's a, you know, famous coach from Ukraine. Uh, he's, you know, coached Olympians from the USR back in the eighties. He's in the hall of fame, you know, and he's like the 85 year old grand, you know, godfather out there. Uh, and you're just like, Whoa, Whoa, this is nuts. Like, where do you find a concentration of wrestling talent like this anywhere? Yeah. You know, you got to go to, you know, the Hawkeye wrestling club and even there you're, it's, you know, not even that level then. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. And they're coaching kids. You know, it's like, wow. my, I'm not telling my, you know, we're in the back of this like beat up boxing gym on like scraps of mat. And my son doesn't know anybody. I'm like, dude, you have no idea how lucky you are. Like, <laughs> this, is, 
he's like, what do you mean? I'm looking around and, you know, there's like, you know, dripping water from the ceiling, no, no, you know, drinking fountain. What do you, what do you mean? This is a, but you know, that it's just such a rich uh, wrestling culture. Uh, and, you know, it's unfortunate you don't see more of them in college because they just, as soon as they hit high school, it's like, you know, that's crazy of me. Like I, yeah. I just, uh, two things. One, is there not like a, a private school in, in New York city that loves athletics and has a bunch of boosters that will pay the best middle school kids to go there? Does that kind of structure exist or not yeah, really? You know, there's only so many weight classes. You know? True. Yeah, yeah. It's few and far between. So yeah. when you think about this area of Brooklyn with all these former Soviet Republic, uh, now Americans living there. Um, I love how you said that there's different clubs based on like, there might be a Georgian club or like an Uzbek yeah. club or like an Azerbaijani club. That's pretty sweet that they still like there's, they're that close in the community. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it, you know, it, you're the first generation, right. That when you, when you come, you know, you're, you're looking for the reason why you moved to Brighton is you're looking for, uh, comfort. You're looking for something, you know, you know, mm-hmm. Um, and so it's easy to, I think, fall into your old communities. Plus there's just old ties. You know, if you come there, you probably use new people. Yeah. Um, what did you, what did you learn about Demir's journey to the U S after being a, a three-time Olympian in Uzbekistan? I learned that most people in the United States don't give a shit about what kind of success you have abroad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the guy drives, you know, was driving a truck until six months ago. Three-time Jeez. Olympian. And the guy's a Barishnikov man, like that guy, his technical understanding of the sport uh, is just, I've never, I mean, I, I, I got involved in part because uh, I just wanted to learn, like he's an incredible resource of knowledge, um, not just about the sport, but about, you know, what it takes to have the right mentality to, to um, continue to succeed, even in a, you know, with the tough circumstances he had. I mean, he came up, uh, you know, when that, during the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, and, you know, for those who don't know, in the Soviet Union, uh, you know, all the clubs are paid for by the government or were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had like a really tight central system. Uh, you know, these, you know, like we do the regional training centers now, you know, they had this like very tight hierarchical kind of training system that you'd go through to, you know, make your way to, you know, to Moscow or wherever to, you know, in the, you know, the national training system. Um, and, uh, and, you know, when all that funding fell apart, uh, during the fall, like a lot of athletes were left scrambling to try and figure out what to do. You know, it was a big departure talent. Um, and so, yeah, he just has a really incredible story. And I think that, uh, you know, he just, he just had so much to teach, has so much to teach people and me, you know, I feel like mm-hmm. a student and learning about how to work through those hardships. Uh, and that's kind of why when we started the band's company, we adopted willpower as part of our branding because we see the, the mindset as important as the exercise, the product. Yeah. And so how do you, obviously the technical wrestling is a, is a 10 hour conversation and that, you know, it may be a 20 hour conversation like that, like that, that whole process. And I want to get into a little bit of the Soviet system, but tell me about the mentality. And I see optimism all over the website and I see act with respect. I see, you know, choose a purpose. How does that kind of form into the mindset that you picked up from, from Demir over the years? So, you know, the best way I guess I can compare it and I I don't want to be offensive towards uh, people who feel strongly about religion, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, he's Muslim uh, and he's a devout Muslim, like never had a drink. You know, he follows Ramadan to a T, even though Mm -hmm. he gets migraines and, you know, he would still train without eating, you know? Um, 
Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, part of it is uh, uh, there's a faith to it that if you follow these certain tenants, you know, it, it's going to lead to a good place, even if you don't win. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and I think that uh, what I've learned and with working with him and have kind of adapted and thought about is that, that, you know, is, is the, what, what real willpower is, you know, we, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot in our culture in the same way that self-help books love to talk about, um, you know, discipline. And then there's the kind of the, the, from the, you know, the psychology school to be like, well, it's not really all about willpower. There's things going on with chemicals in the brain and everything. Um, and, but, so I think that, you know, the optimism and purpose are those kind of deeper faith things that, uh, are important to building willpower. It's a skill you can build mm-hmm. is what came clear to me. Uh, but it, it starts with this certain, you know, uh, concentration and willingness to look at yourself and really think about what your purpose is. And a sport like wrestling, I think is such a great example of where it's important and where people build it is because wrestling is the hardest sport on the planet. Like if you don't find purpose in it and you can't continue to see the, the good in what you're doing, cause you're going to get your ass kicked no matter how good you are at some point in your career, you get beat up. Mm-hmm. That's how you get to be good. You have to have those things in you. Otherwise it just sucks. Right. You know? So I think that wrestling forces willpower as necessity, uh, you know? And so I think that, uh, and, and part of the reason why I think it became part of our brand was our first case studies uh, beyond wrestlers were people who were struggling to recover from injury. Um, like my father had back surgery and he was, you know, he, he chops, he lives in the woods, he chops wood and plays golf, you know, and like, he loves to work and he couldn't work for like two years. Wow. Um, and I, so I just sent him a pair, you know, of our lighter set. And I said, I didn't show him how to do anything. I said, just attach these somewhere to the wall and fight with it, your body against the the bands, you know, and see what happens. He called me back two weeks later. He's like, I'm chopping wood again, you know? Wow. Love and, it. Yeah. And you know, like that's, is that myth or science? I don't know, but uh, you know, our early cases just showed that, you know, if we could uh, apply purpose and some pleasure in those, in those, in those exercises and, you know, that kind of, um, you know, focusing on oneself and understanding how, you know, how your body's moving because it, you know, resistance bands are great because they just, it, you can really vary the resistance that you get from, it's not like getting under a barbell, right. With two weights on it you either hit it or you don't the bands you can adjust on the fly from movement to movement to hit the right amount of resistance, the right pace that they become kind of universally applicable. And uh, there's like a mental math going on too. Like I've done some, some of the band work and you're like, how the heck does he do that? And so you're kind of like doing like a mental puzzle at the same time because it's just like a weird feel to have that resistance and i don't know it's kind of like simulating in the brain that you wouldn't think it would be no actually you're 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 on a kind of a scientific um uh point to to the use of bands um or not just bands but like when you engage in functional movement is kind of the term in strength conditioning uh you know you're you're engaging the whole body so instead of like sitting under a machine and pulling a, you know, a bar down in one single plane, you know, the, the bands make you adjust your whole body, every, your toe, your heels, you know, if you're moving your arm, you got to understand the connectivity from your head to, you know, the top of the neck, all the way down mm-hmm. to your, your hips. And, you know, they, there are studies that show that that creates neuroplasticity. Every time you make your body kind of connect the circuit, you know, uh, yeah. that you're, you're helping build new, you know, pathways in the brand. I don't want to get to it because I'm not a scientist. I can't <laughs> speak to that, but, uh, but you feel it, right? Like you feel the, the serotonin endorphins going and it, you know, you feel like there's something happening up in your brain there. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So how did, so you, you, you go to this wrestling club, you see this tremendous level of talent and then amongst all these coaches and these greats, you see the band. Tell me about the first time you saw the band in play and how that kind of sparked <laughs> yeah. where we're at now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, th- I'll back into this a little bit, right? Like one of the things I think that, that I noticed immediately about the way that they train, uh, or, you know, this more Soviet style training, uh, is one, you don't, they don't compete a lot. Mm-hmm. They train a lot. You know, they, I don't remember when I was in high school, I think I had like 50, 60 matches in a year and they'd go to like maybe two or three tournaments. Right. You know, like it's just a lot more meditative and focusing on the way the body works and learning how to control your breath and, and how your body moves. And, you know, they do a lot of acrobatic, every warm up is like agility drills. So we do ladders, there's ladders in every, every practice. Um, you like know, the ones you step through on the ground. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, and you know, at some point you just expect the athletes to do it automatically. You don't have to tell them, you know, and it's like a 45 minute warm up. Um, Wow. And and it's pretty standardized, right? From what they learned under the Soviet era. Like it was at that. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, the Soviet system was amazing at, I think, disseminating, uh, you know, widely disseminating, um, you know, lessons or, or, you know, uh, techniques and stuff like they just had this, uh, apologize. Um, yeah. Just the way the system was set up, you know, it was top down, you know, government structure. And one of the benefits was in athletics because you'd be like, oh, we figured out this works. Just, you know, everyone come to the training center and, learn, and it disseminates back down, trickles down to all the clubs. Um, so everybody knows the same system, you know, whereas here it's kind of like you learned what your coach knew and, you know, you kind of pick things up at camps and it's all a little rough and tumble, you know. What gym um, teacher did you have, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like what it comes down to. It yeah. is so frustrating because, like, sometimes you, a kid grows up and they got this legendary coach and then next time it's not and like without the internet back in the day, you'd have no, no luck trying to you know improve yourself. But over there it was pretty standardized and everyone did the same thing. And one of the things you see is this detailed warm up, And then also is the bands like an after practice thing or a warm up thing? Uh, no, it would not be a warm up thing. Typically, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think within that context, it would be something that happened after practice. So like the first time I saw it and I was blown away because we had kids that were like eight, nine years old. And one of these the coaches that were visiting, uh, it was like these Becky junior national coach, you know, and I, he didn't speak English, but, you know, we just talked with hands, you know, he's like, come here, come here, let me show you something. Let me show you something. And they pull out these tubes. So like, they're like spaghetti, you know, like big, long spaghetti strings. And he starts tying them up to the wall and tying the other end around the kids and the kids start practicing doubles, you know, and they're eight, nine years old and they're working on, you know, hinge, hinge work, like strengthen their back and be able to pick people up. And, and through that resistance, you know, they don't get to cheat because if mm-hmm. they don't, you know, they, they, their head drops. Uh, and I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, I'd never seen anything like this before. Uh, and I was just blown away because you could tell that it was effective. Um, you know, so like sports specific training is a term that, that we we've started to embrace in the strength conditioning world now. Uh, but you know, uh, the Soviets invented periodization, you know, they were, they were practicing, you know, peak performance training and sports specific, uh, exercises back in the sixties. And it was all documented, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you look up Tudor Bampa or Carlo, um, what's his last name? Buzicelli, I believe two Italian guys, they documented in this big book, which it's a, it's, if you're interested on in the technical aspects of peak training, it's a great book, Really, um, but it's super intense. And so they talk about like, and I'm down, this is how I get down rabbit hole. So I'm relying on you to, to get me out of these. No, uh, let's go. Let's take, let's take one down it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, they, they kind of break athletics down into three components. They're like athletic potentials based on how well you train your endurance, strength, and speed. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and every sport requires a different combination of those three things. Wrestling uh, is actually mentioned in the book is one of those that doesn't get to have uh, any particular focus of two. You know, there's always the rule of threes, like you get two, you don't get the third one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in tech, it's like fast, easy, cheap, you get two of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, but wrestlers have to like hit the pin right in the middle. <laughs> Um, and, and, and I replaced for wrestling endurance with stamina. I think stamina is, you know, a little bit more applicable in endurance. We're not marathon runners. Um, and you know, uh, the thing about the bands and how that matches up with that is that one band can do all three of those, depending on the, the weight and the pace and the, you know, uh, the weight and the pace that your exercise is going at. Uh, and, and then by doing that, you get to kind of adjust one of those three components. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that, uh, in my study, I'm sure there might be someone from the community that knows better than I do, but in my study, the bands are, have been most, were most effective. And after practice, when there was one of those three components that needed to be worked on within the context of the, of the you know training for the day. Yeah. And it's, when you think about how it can hit on all three, I watched some of the videos, you know, if you, for example, double up the band, you increase the strength from 16 pounds to whatever, 40 some pounds, and you can do more like power squats or you can tie the band to your not tie, but put the band on your ankle and do different things like that. So there's so I just love how you guys document and show all the ways you can use the band for those three categories, the strength, the speed and the endurance. Yeah. So in fact, uh, I'll show you a little video clip um, that I just got posted today. Excuse me. Yeah. Let's share it real quick. So everyone, so everyone else can kind of get a feel because you know these videos, but I'll play this one so everyone can see it. Yeah. There's no audio. There's there's actually a cool soundtrack to this and some good music. <laughs> it is. I've, I've watched it. Yeah. You know, so you can see here being able to run through your your shot series, firemen's right, working on your your counter kicks, uh, duck unders, uh, you know, stand even the stand ups, right? So you're working on that explosives, getting off the bottom. Uh, you know, your throws, pummeling, pummeling's great. If you haven't pummeled yet with these, it's, it's a great workout. Uh, your sprawls and suplex. I mean, you, you can hit the, when we talk about sports specific training, uh, you, you can hit just about any move you can think of in wrestling, maybe not some parterre stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but all the, you know, the fundamentals from takedowns to escapes and, and throws uh, with a set of bands. It's that's, I mean, the thing I think I appreciate the most about the, the Soviet uh, kind of training um, philosophy is it's all about training better with less, right? Like how do I get as much out of this as possible with the least amount of money, you know, right. Don't put a Fitbit on me, teach somebody how to you know read their own heart rate. You know? And isn't and, that how the bands got started in world war two when there was yeah, like a lack yeah, of yeah, materials? It's such a cool story. Um, and again, I, I just have to caveat this between like myth and myth and fact, <laughs> Uh, you know, yep. if, if you know any Russians, like it's, it's always a little, you gotta be careful, <laughs> you know? Um, but the story goes that, uh, uh, during world war two in Eastern Europe, uh, you know, they, well, gyms were gone. Like, they had no place to train. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the middle of the war. Uh, and so they started trying to find, you know, scrappy ways to continue to get the workouts they needed and using six foot long tubes of rubber 
proved to be a pretty good uh, uh, substitute for getting to work out with a partner. Because as you can see, like, I want to practice my doubles, put those on. If I want it to, you know, be about technique, I go slow. If I want it to be about building stamina and, you know, what more match pace, I go faster, I get heavier weights. Um, and so, you know, you could, they, they learned that you could effectively get a pretty good workout in uh, and be training the mind around the dynamic stereotypes that you use in wrestling using bands. Uh, and then after the war, uh, you know, the, the Soviet train, Soviet training machine saw this and they, you know, they put some science behind it and, and did their thing. You know, they made a program out of it and just started disseminated everywhere, you know? And so that's why now, I mean, you see a set of bands basically on every Soviet club. Yeah. Uh, Brian Medlin, who's the head coach of the Illinois RTC goes to, I think it's either, um, I think it's Osetia. Yeah. Osetia every year. And their wrestlers have, a couple things they have everyone climbs ropes yep. everyone has a jump rope and everyone has a set of bands yeah yeah and it's just like that simple and like and they um play. they do plyos plyos yeah. a lot of you see a lot of that too well you know i mean again plyometrics when did that come into play in the united states in the 80s maybe the 70s yeah you know, they're they invented plyometrics in like the early 60s that's wow. a russian that's a russian uh you know, that's part of the Russian system training, training machine. Yeah. The system. Um, yeah. So how did you take this, uh, this idea that dates back to you know the forties basically and improve upon it and, and make it a product for the wrestling world? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a product developer, but in, you know, by trade. Uh, so when I see something like this, like I can't help, but try and figure out how to make it better, you know? Um, and I wasn't sure I could, uh, cause it'd been around for a long time, but you know, I, I, I took, I, I kind of took the social circumstance we were dealing with and I figured out like how we could make this more applicable, uh, to more people, uh, not just wrestlers, but wrestlers benefit from it. Uh, and so I just started to tinker with the, the design by adding some components, like a little lasso, uh, to each end that would allow you to kind of change the shape of the band. So you see a lot of different bands in the market, um, like those big, you know, circular rubber ones and, and they all have their benefits like that. They, things that they do well and don't mm -hmm. do well. Uh, and so I, I said, you know what, I, I want athletes to be able to have one piece of equipment that fits in their backpack that gets them, a, a, you know, basically a whole gym worth of workouts of exercises. Uh, and you know, we, we tested slowly different models and, you know, I just, I'd make a set and give them out to somebody like, you know, uh, Mitch Feinsilver. I don't know if you know Mitch. Yeah. Uh, he's, been he's, one a, of our, he's in the videos, right? Yeah. He's been one of our supporters from the very get go. Um, he saw me actually. So I brought a set for Vlado Inchkashvili uh, during a, a um, uh, you know, he was doing a clinic. I brought him a set uh, and he, he, well, he's being polite to me. He really enjoyed them. And I've seen him on, on Instagram using them, you know, so mm -hmm. hopefully he likes them. Uh, and Mitch saw him and he came over. He's like, wait, 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 I need a pair of those, you know? Uh, so I had to run back out of my truck and, you know, get him a set. And, and, you know, he comes out and he's, he's a great guy. Uh, he's been coming out and training, uh, you know, on the bands with us. He does these videos with us. Um, you know, he wants to help out. Uh, so he's been, he's been great. Um, but, you know, working with him and like understanding the challenges that, that athletes like him and a lot, we worked with a lot of athletes too, but just to see, you know, the, the kind of functional movements that they needed to achieve. Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of build the sports specific strength that they needed. We, you know, I figured like, okay, I can make a band that does all these things, everything from, you know, your shots and standups, but also squats and military press. Uh, so we kind of created this, this, uh, system. Oh, sorry. Hold on a second. No problem. This, this is the notice time. I'm supposed to go pick up my daughter from school, which I don't have to do today. <laughs> 
um, but so we created the, the, you know, a design that would allow all of these exercises to be, to be completed. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, what's funny, as soon as we kind of created this universal design, and you know what, I can show it to you because I've got, oh, you ready? This is a, uh, you're going to see a, a, a product reveal. We finally got some Let's of our see it. Bags. Let's see it. Yeah, it comes a little bag, you know. Love it. Yeah. So we effectively created this system and it's very simple. There's nothing really fancy about it, but it allows you to create a lasso that attaches mm -hmm. to any part of your body, you know, plus you can do cool things like you know, turn it into a got a live demonstration on the podcast. First right, of its kind. See? I love it. You can turn it into a loop to be able to put it, you know, around your body to do good mornings and uh, and squats and stuff. Um, and you know, so we just we just wanted more versatility because uh, I think that COVID showed us that we have to stop being so reliant on large training facilities uh, and thinking about our own community where there's just so many people don't have access to those because they're expensive. We wanted to be mm -hmm. able to create a training system that was, uh, you know, more open and available to people. You know, so we're like, if we can just make one product and sell it for, you know, under hundred bucks, like it replaces 15 pieces of equipment in your house. Like that's a value add to everybody, you know? Yeah, definitely. And we've been talking, uh, I, I, in my mind, I forget where we started the recording and stopped, but this kind of all started during COVID because you're, you're everything shut down you guys are working out in the park the bands are becoming more and more applicable because again you're not you don't have access to gyms and so eventually you start tinkering with this and then you go into full-scale production and when we spoke last man it must have been about a year ago and uh and correct me if i'm wrong but basically it was we wanted to make them in the u.s but we you know we just couldn't do it cost effectively and so you had to look elsewhere for the product but you wanted to assemble them in the u.s and now you've kind of gone another way i mean talk to us about some of the like the uh, manufacturing and, and supply chain challenges. Sure. So, I mean, a couple of things come out, like we, we've been selling these uh, ad hoc for two years. Right. You know, um, and, and basically I just take, if someone emailed me or direct message me, I'd, ma I'd make a set for them, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'd sell them basically at cost because I didn't want to charge people for them. You know, we didn't have a real business in place. Uh, but, you know, when you move to having to outsource, you know, market production, they're, they're just certain, you have to hit certain quantity targets before it makes sense, you know, as a mm -hmm. business. Um, and, and at the same time, what I'd kind of figured out is that uh, most people didn't want to pay the premium for, you know, what an American product would cost. Uh, understandably, right? Like not everybody has that much money to spend. So really we wanted to be able to, uh, to, to provide people the chance to, to have a unit that was affordable, but if they wanted the, the like real high end rubber and American made rubber handmade in the United States, like we still want to be able to offer that. Um, so it's really about accessibility. Because, uh, you know, there's when the whole market is playing one way, it's hard to play the other way and, and compete, you know. So we, we've kind of uh, tried to split it up 
so that we can create an affordable product that still meets good quality standards uh, and is going to give you a great workout and do everything we wanted to do, which is why it's taken so long to work through the supply chain. Because like we've been kicking back companies left and right. You know, we'll get something samples made somewhere and it doesn't hit our quality standard. We send it back, you know, um, it's like try a new one. Um, but yep. at the same time, you know, uh, we, we do really want to sooner or later be a USA made only product. Mm-hmm. And hopefully at some point I figure out how to do, uh, you know, sliding scale prices <laughs> on the same product because we'd love for everybody to, to, to get that. But, you know, there, there's just so many uh, supply chain challenges that make it really hard to do that. Um, you know, uh, typically in the U.S. and manufacturing, uh, when they see that they can't compete at lower, lower cost units, they just keep moving up the market. Right. So their their target audience, their target customer is further and further up the scale. So, like, we've been using rubber that's actually made for like you know, um, high pressure machines, you know, there's like, you know, like PSI, like, you know, thousand pounds plus, I mean, or something like that, you know, like crazy, crazy, like really, uh, heavy duty stuff. Um, but you know, that's a, we're competing on a price point with like big factories, not exercise bands. So all the exercise right. are made in Mexico or China. Um, and so, you know, we're, we, we're, we're working through it, you know, to figure out how we can, we can make this work, but everyone in the U S supply chain, for the most part, they're like, really, you're going to sell a American made band. Really? You're going to, you're going to figure that out. Um, no one else has, you know, so, so like really, even yeah. those like rogue ones that are like, not, I mean, those are very, very short. Cause like, I'm imagining you put them around your legs, when you're doing squats. Those are also, those aren't really made here either, or they're doing them in such a high number that it works out for them. Uh, you know, I haven't checked there specifically. They might be making, I know Rogue is big on US made. Yeah. Um, but they're a powerhouse. I mean, I'm a startup, you know, they've got a lot more um, you know, negotiation power. Uh, and I also bet yeah. the length of the band changes things a lot. Cause yours is so like the wrestling ones are quite a bit longer than the traditional right. bands. Yeah. You it's know? way more rubber and rubber is the most expensive component. We don't have in the United States that same, uh, support infrastructure, at least from what I can tell. Uh, so there, you know, there's, a, it's, it's hard, I think for companies to even try and get into that lower price point of the market. I mean, this is really kind of geeky business stuff. I don't know. Well, I can, uh, I, I can uh, empathize with you because in my line of work, if you want to buy a, you know, a piece of hardware that goes in the data center, it's seven months backlog right now. And, oh, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. Your chip, chip manufacturer. Chip stuff. Really didn't hit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so how yeah, many, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I could talk about that for a while, but I was just going to say how many iterations that you think you've gone through that you've like paid someone to actually make that you would have used if it would have met your standards. Are we talking like Uh, five or like 20? At least a dozen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, That's that kind of like repetitive, like improvement process. I just find fascinating. I don't know why, but just kind of going through and fixing the airs and kind of moving forward through that process. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm used to do this for a living. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I do it for a living now too. And when I, <laughs> what I, you know, when, when I talk to clients about this uh, and they'd say, well, tell me the process. And I'd say, you know what the process is? You have a flashlight and you're exploring the galaxy. <laughs> you know, that's the process. Mm-hmm. The process is retrospect. After, at the end, you look back and you say, okay, that's what the process was. And you hope that the next time you do it, it's kind of similar. Uh, but it's always, especially if it's new, it's going to be, you know, a kind of a unknown exploration. You're just, you're leaving the shore and you know, you hope you get to the other side of the ocean, you know? Yeah. Um, but, and you know, it, it's, 
it's not that uh, that's not the right way to do it. it isn't that you get together and you're like, oh, I could have done it better. But yeah, only in retrospect, you see the mistakes you made and, and how you fix it. I mean, it's the same with wrestling, right? Like you go out there and when the match hits, you have a plan, but you know, plans don't stick all the time. <laughs> they yeah. never, they're never the same when you go to, when you're actually out there. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we, the, the iterative process is just something you have to believe in and stick to and know that, you know, if you keep hammering away at it, you're going to make progress. Um, you know, I mean, I, people love to talk about Thomas Edison. What do you do? Like 10,000 iterations of the light bulb or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the light bulb's still changing. It's not like it was static. Right. Uh, you know, although we're, we're still kind of slowly making progress on light bulbs. Probably that LED. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took long enough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, the it's for us, it's about sticking to certain principles. Um, you know, anybody who works on this project, I don't care if they're in marketing or in production, everybody has to use the band. If they don't use the band, they don't get a voice, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because if you don't understand how it makes your body feel, uh, you know, what the, what the dynamics are, how it, you know, just how the rubber feels in your hand. If you don't do that, then you're, you're, you can't possibly weigh in on, on the, on the design of it. Uh, so we've been super, every time there's a, a, a new iteration, uh, it goes out for testing, you know, mm-hmm. Mitch gets one and Demir gets one. And I've got a whole cater of people that get one. Uh, and they tell me, you know, what works and what doesn't. Uh, and then that goes back into the process of figuring out the next one. And when you look at from a business perspective, do you think the the big market is the wrestler that's in middle school, high school, college and training, or is it the 20 something guy who's into like, or girl who's into self-help and, you know, into fitness and they're doing it at home because they got a busy schedule. Like, do you see those two groups or is it predominantly just the wrestlers? Well, so what I, what I see uh, in what we've done so far is that wrestlers and, and, and people that are in jujitsu and, you know, BJJ and judo, um, they get it. Cause there's a culture around it. Uh, Sambo, you know, mm-hmm. um, like, uh, we, we have a pair that's in one influencer's hand. Who's a BJJ coach in Idaho and he's got a pretty good following. And, and as soon as he pulled him out of the bag, he's like, Oh yeah, I get it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think on the, the general fitness, like everyday athlete side, uh, it's, it's a new, it's a new philosophy for most people. Uh, and it's a bit of a nascent, uh, concept in strength and conditioning, uh, now, which is more sports specific training. You know, the key to long-term health is about continuing to be an athlete. Everybody's an athlete, yeah. you know, learn to sprint and jump and, and, you know, just be active versus sitting in a weight room and lifting stuff. Not that there's not an importance to lifting weights. Um, but I think that it's kind of a nascent concept here. Um, and you can actually see it in the SEO keyword, uh, you know, strategies that people employ, people are still talking about, you know, arm exercises and leg exercises. And we talk about full body stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, cross, you know, cross body symmetry. And you know, it's just, these are, these concepts are, I think just kind of starting to emerge. Uh, and we're, we're part of that. Um, and so one of the, uh, kind of, um, uh, in between points between the culture of wrestling and jujitsu that gets it is performance training. Uh, so if we go back to the, you know, periodization concept of, you know, speed, stamina or speed, endurance and strength, mm-hmm. the speed component, uh, is, you know, this, this piece that people are saying, like, it's great for athletes and it's great for everybody, you know, learn to do plyometrics, learn to jump, learn to run. Um, and so we've actually focused a lot in the last two years working with uh, a performance school to put a whole kind of program together about how to use these bands for basic performance training. 
Um, really? For all sports, basically. Yeah, here, like, oh, let me, this is going to take me just a second to pull up. So yeah. Might, this might be a cut, but we should. No um, yeah, so, like, uh, here's, here's, like, a functional movement series we put together recently. Here it is. You know, so you hear this concept of the right, like push, pull, hinge, squat, lunge, carry, right? Mm-hmm. Carry's tough for with the bands. There's a couple things you can do, but we're, we hit push the, the rest. So like, here's a, here's just kind of like a quick demonstration, you know, where like it's all full body movements, but you are, you know, have certain focus areas. So like this is obviously like a push exercise, you know? Oh yeah. So here's our squats. You know, I was just showing you that way to loop it. It's mm-hmm. like, here's a good, um, this is actually a, um, you know, good mornings. Um, oh, this is actually really tough. If you haven't tried this one yet, this is brutal <laughs> to get out to that iron kind of cross. A squat, then do a, like a high pull with the band doing iron. Yeah. Iron cross. Yeah. Wow. So like these are side lunges. So you can see here it's at the waist, right? So you're, it's really about thrust to push off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, and then overhead squat, like this is, this is a great, <laughs> this is a great workout. Our biggest band, I've never seen anybody be able to do an overhead squat with this, like this. It's really you know, so like, oh, those power lifters out there. Are like, Oh, bands don't, you know, don't provide enough. You know, talk to me about Senate, <laughs> you are the biggest one. That is tough. Well, this, um, and, yeah. This just reminds me though of like two things. Here's what hits me. One is like, it reminds me of the kettlebell, right? Because like the kettlebell used to be kind of like this Russian thing that no one did. And then, yeah, I don't know if it was Joe Rogan or whoever, but like I heard about it through Joe Rogan. Now I got a bunch of kettlebells. All my friends got kettlebells and it's like, you feel like you're an athlete doing it and you feel like you're not just doing the normal stuff. So it's exciting. But then the bands, you know, I got outside of wrestling, you know, Tom Brady's massive into bands because of injury prevention and pliability, not the same kind of bands, but, um, just that concept of like being able to work out and not have kind of like a weightlifter's body, but a functional body, I think is, is more popular than ever. Yeah. And so like in the middle between the functional movement for everyday athletes and the very sport specific stuff for, for grapplers and wrestlers, uh, you know, we're, we're finding a a lot of value in performance. And so like, here's a great example, broad jump. So this is plyometrics, right? Um, broad jump is often used, you know, it's used for explosiveness, uh, and it's, it's applicable to most any sport, any sport that requires any sort of explosive behavior. Uh, and what we found was when you add resistance bands to it, you overload the, the jump. And by overloading the jump, you're building muscle potential, right? So it's not just about body weight. You're going above and beyond, but you still have the freedom to move like you would if you didn't have anything on you, right? Mm-hmm. So the resistance just adds this extra lift or overload that helps you, you know, build your muscle potential, right? So watch this guy. This is a, these guys are great. Boom. Yeah. Are you sharing something? Oh, you can't see it. It was just on the video that you had uh, previously shared. Oh, sorry. Hold on a second. Okay, let me try again. Apologies. No worries. Show you the whole thing. Oh, here we go. Okay. Yep. So this is what we call harness mode. You know, you those put those loops around your waist. And so like that little band right there, it looks little, it's like a 24 pound resistance, but it's doubled up. It's 48 pounds. You're jumping with 48 pounds, pulling you back. Like that's, that's a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think what is so cool about all this is that like anytime you see innovation in wrestling, it, it gets me excited. And this is started with a niche in wrestling, but obviously there's applications for any athlete out there, but, um, 
Yeah. I mean, I just think it's so cool to have someone like you in the space, bringing all your, your inventor and product knowledge into the wrestling world. And, you know, for folks who want to buy these now, how do we, what's the best way for them to do that? And where, where do they, where do they do that at? Yeah, sure. So uh, we, we have two, two product lines right now. Like I said, we have kind of a, a consumer grade one, which has a lot of safety bells and whistles. So like that one I just showed you, you can buy that on our website. Uh, our release date, I believe is, uh, we're looking at mid June for our, our, our first inventory to come in. Um, but it's on pre-sale now, so you can, you can get it pre-sale. Um, and this one has like, uh, you know, a safety cord installed so that you can't stretch it too far. There's some things that we did to make sure that, you know, if you don't know how to use bands, you're not going to get hurt. Uh, and then we have a pro series that I still make by hand. Uh, and it's all American made rubber. And, you know, there's a premium on that and we'll have that on the website soon. I just got about a hundred units in, so I've got a short run I can sell, um, in a few different weights. Uh, but right now, uh, depending on when this, you know, broadcast, you just direct message me on Instagram, but yeah. So if you want to, okay, now back up. So if you want to buy the professional line one, which are, you know, made for grapplers really, and, and people in performance training, just direct message me and we'll talk through, uh, because in part, uh, there's some customization can be done, you know, depending how tall you are, what you want to use it for, you know, we can right size the band so that you get the most out of it. Awesome. So the Mercury and the Atlas on the website, those are the ones that are more general public. Sure. I mean, they'll work for wrestlers. Don't get me right. wrong. They're, they're, they're great. Uh, but you know, the pro series gives you a few extra, um, you know, a little more freedom because we don't have a safety cord in it. You can stretch it farther. Got um, it. you know, so you can get, you know, so resistance bands that what's cool about bands is that there's their variable resistance. So it's not like when you lift a weight and you say, okay, the weight's 45 pounds. That's always 45 pounds. A band is actually, uh, the farther you stretch it, the more resistance it has. <laughs> Right. 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 Makes sense. Um, yeah. So, uh, and oh, actually I actually have a cool video that shows that, uh, you know, what I do with that. It's an Instagram. It's Instagram. I'm like terrible at organizing my, <laughs> do you do all the content yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I do all the content myself. I don't see it. Anyway, uh, the, um, you know, so a band that at, at like two times its length, like the mercury is 15 pounds, but at three times it's like, it's 24, right? That's the right. resistance you get, you know, at four times it's like 36, you know? So it's got this like funny resistance curve. Uh, and so our pro line series gives people a little more freedom there to, to get, get more resistance out of it. Um, whereas our consumer grade ones, we, you know, we want to make sure people are safe. So we put some stoppers in there so you can't <laughs> you know. go too crazy. <laughs> Yeah. If you get dumb and like to see if you, know, I, um, you've probably seen me talk about this. It's something I learned in college, tough, smart versus tough, stupid. Okay. Refresh me on uh, this one. Okay. So back in college, we had a coach, uh, and this usually happened after like someone got arrested over the weekend for doing something really dumb. Uh, you know, he'd, he'd like come into the room and be like, listen, you know, I know all wrestlers want to get tough and you're like, you know, you can tell me he like had a migraine and having to think about this shit and how many times he's probably told a team about this. <laughs> they are like, listen, you know, we all want to be tough, but there's like tough, smart ways and tough, stupid ways. You know, let's, let's stay on the tough, smart quadrant, you know? Right. Of course. Then one of our teammates, I remember this is great. He, he walked up and he put like a Z axis up. He's like, yeah, but there's also funny and not funny. You know, you got to take that. <laughs> into right. Um, so, you know, our consumer grade ones help people not do tough, stupid stuff, <laughs> you know, makes uh, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Where our pro line, you know, lets you be a little more, you know, flexible. Well, I think it's awesome. And like you said, even if, yeah, I'm sure you, you, I mean, I hope the business grows exponentially, but even, even if 
you know, at the very least, you're getting this new system into people's hands. And like, I see this applicable for every beat the streets facility, every, you know, wrestling club, certainly. And there's just so many applications for it, um, even for adults, you know? Oh, absolutely. And so I'll show you what we're doing um, uh, to, to help uh, make that happen. So I've been working with um, trainers and, you know, coaches and such to help. Oh, oh don't look at that. Need to see my sales. Hold on a second. Um, is to kind of create a training framework for everybody, right? And so what we did was, you know, there's like, I don't know, 12,000 or 1,200 different sports in the world. So we tried to find, uh, and this will evolve over time. I'm sure people can see this. I'm going to hear all sorts of shit about how I didn't do this right. But we tried to organize sports into like 40 marquee sports that represent different groupings of biometric requirements. Back to okay. the speed, stamina, and endurance. Uh, and so we're building programs. Um, it's nascent, but we're building programs for all these different sports. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it allows us to put these libraries together where we have applicable exercises. So, you know, again, when we talk about prioritizing community building and dissemination of this information uh, over sales, like this is for us, it is important that people learn about all these things that I've learned. I mean, I consider myself a novice at this quite frankly. I learn something new every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so this, this library builds with every time we get a new expert, subject matter expert involved, um, you know, so that every sport can start to understand the application of, of these different, you know, ways to, different ways to apply the methodology. Right. Well, I think it's awesome. And I'm just so glad you were able to come on the show and, and share the, share the message again. Any last words before we sign off, Andrew? Am I supposed to talk about how wrestling changed my life? Is you that can. Still- yeah, you can. <laughs> we haven't really talked about that much, but yeah, you were a division one wrestler at Stanford and, yeah. and obviously wrestling has been instrumental in your life. Um, yeah, we could sign off with that. Sure. Uh, I remember we've talked a little bit this about before. Uh, I think the most important thing I ever learned in wrestling was, and it's, it's the only sport that awards you for this is when you get taken down, you got to stand back up. <laughs> Right. It's the only sport that you get points for that. And I, I, I just can't stress, I think, in, in, you know, 30 years of retrospect on what wrestling has done for me and all the trials that I've had in life. Uh, you know, the fact that I, I always learned that, you know, it didn't matter if you got taken down. It mattered if you stood back up. You know, I think that that's the most important thing I've ever walked away from the sport with. Awesome. Excellent way to sign off. Andrew, thank you so much, my friend. Yeah, it's great to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was presented by Spartan Combat. They're running a special and custom team apparel at SpartanCombat.com. To watch the video component of this interview, go to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube page, Wrestling Changed My Life. We'll see you next time.